I'm Maisie Cohen, and welcome to Rhyming the Dead, a Red Room Company radio series produced with the assistance of the Community Radio Network. Over five episodes, we'll hear new works from 10 poets around the country who are asked to reflect on a dead poet of their choice and how that person's life and death has profoundly influenced their writing. Today, we traverse the lives of Martin Harrison and Jennifer Rankin with poets Sam Wagon Watson and Melody Paloma in the driving seat. Jennifer Rankin was a poet and playwright who used words in a textural, almost painterly fashion to evoke the world around her. I think that my main area of writing will always be poetry. It always has been poetry. I'm interested in lots of areas, but the poetry I continue to work out the whole time. For my poetry, I've tended to go to the landscape and to use it in order to perhaps express an emotional landscape. Martin Harrison was a writer and radio broadcaster with a deep appreciation for the Australian landscape after emigrating here from England in the 1970s. Uh, Look, he was a bit of a natural wanderer. He was born in England, uh, moved to New Zealand and then ended up in Sydney. And how will it end, this half-traced ecstasy at merely being here? Could anything be heard other than the aftermode of how we got there, made it out? Melody Paloma. I first came across Jennifer Rankin's work through the critical writing of Martin Harrison and Bonnie Cassidy, whose uh, critical and poetic work I really respect and admire. Rankin's name kept popping up in their critical writing a lot, and then I managed to get um, hold of a copy of her collected poems edited by Judith Rodriguez, which is sadly now out of print and pretty difficult to come by. And I just really felt very drawn to everything that she was doing around place and space, particularly an Australian place. I was born in Chatswood, New South Wales in 1941. My mother brought up the family, four children. My father, an Irishman, didn't live with us. He lived in Darwin or New Guinea or different various places. And we tended to spend most of our childhood between the house in Chatswood, which was a large old Anglo-Saxon Australian looking house, and a small bush wattle and daub hut which we travelled to in a place called Yerenbull over a mountain called Razorback Mountain and I think it's that particular journey that I always took between the city and the country that has now has influenced my poetry and for me the writing of poetry really is is I think a constant repetition of that journey. Her voice is so distinctive in an Australian poetic setting. Yeah she did really interesting things Uh, with temporality that seem so pertinent to what I want to do with my own poetics. She writes a lot about birds and landscapes. Is that something that really drew you to her as a writer? Yeah, I think um, the way she inhabits space, her speaker inhabits space, is really interesting. It's not located within one subject. It's constantly shifting and changing, like it's aerial and then it's grounded, it's in walls, it's constantly moving and shifting. Robert Gray talks about her work as having this ability to capture a puff in time, but he's not talking about just a single moment. She just has this amazing ability to blur moments. You know, all these moments are interconnected 
and it shifts and changes. There's multiple access points. It's intersubjective. They're not tied down by lyrical subjectivity or spatial location. I think why I always go back to the earth I, is partly because I looked to my environment of a, of a physical sort rather than to human relationships. So obviously I was embroiled in human relationships when I was young, but I, they, were, they were unhappy and I missed my father and my mother had a lot of problems. And I, I looked, So I turned, I think, to the landscape always, but it's not just the landscape. I, I don't believe my poems are, are nature poems. So, I, you know, in fact, I can't imagine anything um, less likely. Two poems after Jennifer Rankin. Redwood Plantation, Otway's National Park. Things seem cut up here, clipped up in straight lines, divided on slash by the ground. Horizon, Little River, Heath. Rainforest, waterfall, plantation, clearing, etc. Then, I had only ever seen redwoods in California but forgot to touch them, what we had come for. I measured Saturday. A friend, good at trees, tells me they are soft. I can only imagine this in the way I once peeled off paper bark and held it for a long time. There's shaky video footage of you, walking down the stairs and a picture of me sitting in a river when we were lost and sharp. Months later, you said, you looked so pretty that day. Before this, hot chips in the wet. We are losing light. Then that space, carved out and distant, a quick partition. The gaps between things extend height. Imagine that the trees aren't tall at all, that we're just really tiny, which is how it is anyway. Stand in places where trunks line up, much smaller, planted once. One has fallen over and bridges across the water. Edge sinks back into the ground. Softer than green, which is only upward. Sharp, pillowed hills. This brown, deeper than soil, not a colour we remember. Hands disappear into wood. Bonnie Cassidy and Martin Harrison talk a lot about the painterly connection to Rankin's work. You know, she literally talks about painting in her work, but also on another level, as her methodology being like a painter in the construction of her work. She has this kind of ability to layer her poems with light and depth uh, and lines, um, which I think is a real painterly reference, which is definitely something that I was thinking about, maybe more so uh, in terms of photography, which is something that features in my work a bit. A lot of the poems that I have written and have continued to write around Rankin are very much written on the move and come from pieces that have been written in the moment of being within those places and then later on reflection, which I think is quite Rankin-esque in many ways because she's not just thinking about one moment. It's constantly shifting, like a line in her poem will refer to one singular moment and then 
the next will completely dismantle that. So for me, I think it makes sense to spread out the writing among many moments. Fitzroy Commission Flats. Can't catch how the light hits the flats at 7pm in early summer. My iPhone camera never gets it right. Bedroom wall cracked open, pulled into grass-lit orange. Flat on your back, pressed in and up. Blue, the shape of an eye, almost and blowing. Air on the nose tipped over. Between blinks, swinging, inertia or vertigo or physics or illusion of self-motion, not just flat, on Google Maps, a line that keeps moving past the periphery. You're listening to Rhyming the Dead, and I'm speaking to Melody Paloma about her new work, inspired by Jennifer Rankin. Yeah, I think it's important as well to talk about um, her moving beyond uh, simply romantic view of place she's you know very much embraces the harshness of the land as a reality and it's a real shift away from any kind of colonial fear of land do you know much about the later period of her life and and what her thoughts were at that time was she writing a personal diary or anything like that she wrote uh, the mud hut which was published posthumously after she was diagnosed with cancer and as she, her body was kind of disintegrating so that's quite an interesting work in comparison to her earlier two collections yeah and thinking about her thoughts around death and feeding back into her thoughts around country and landscape there's an interesting connection between the external and the internal. She really kind of blurs that line um, and she's just very much at the mercy of the cycles. I think the bush hut, the Waterlandorp hut, had a very great influence on me. I'm sure it was also the events that occurred there. It seemed to me that as a child I, I, was, I felt fairly isolated from other children within and outside the family, but it seemed that at the bush hut it was something quite different. It was as though we left behind a lot of the um, problems of our fairly dark old house in Chatswood and went into the country and into a house that was built out of the earth and out of the clay. Um, and for me, it, in later years, it's come to almost have a feeling of going back into the earth and I felt I was going to something that was almost primeval. In the mud hut, her presence is definitely there as a speaker but still she's doing interesting things with subjectivity where, you know, the speaker is not kind of determining what's happening in that space of the poem. It's very much uh, giving breath to more than human perspectives. And now Sam Wagon Watson takes us through his poetic and personal connection to Martin Harrison. I met Martin at a time when my writing was starting to take off. I, I knew him by reputation. We, we shared uh, a publisher, 
he just walked up to me after a reading and started giving me notes about my writing, sincere notes. He became a mentor just sort of overnight. Between 2003 and 2005, we were very busy. Our, our books and writing, doing things, uh, sort of drawing us together to the same uh, literary festivals and engagements, which was a wonderful opportunity for me to be counselled by him. I have no academic background in literature. Back then, I was still quite limited in my my knowledge of world literature as such. And Martin was just this absolute powerhouse of uh, of ideas. And uh, to be taken under his wing, it's just something you can't procure from like an academic level or an experience you, you, you can't pay for. It, it was just, uh, it was just so good for me in my developmental stages as, as a writer. Old Ghost Dogs Some things are beyond talking. Not the mind, not emotions. Words will always come for them. Perhaps the mind lives in this barrier, entirely of its own creating. You see it the way it is, it looks back the same. The fence, the lake, they're just there. From A Dog Barking Martin Harrison, Summer A mentor once asked me if I could sense ghosts. Yes, I've been scared of the dark on many occasions where light and time can't reflect rational measures. I am no older in the night now than when I was a child. Ghosts pepper shadows unevenly. You can only taste them as does my dark skin. They're just there, and why should I be so afraid? I am to become one, one day soon, and then bark the night and yearn again to taste my breath when it was young. Future nights of my past being and dog-eared visions. My first passion isn't uh, isn't writing at all. It's it's more reading, and to be with Martin was like being with a, a walking uh, library. He was just uh, so well read, so full of ideas. He would, you know, right in the middle of a conversation, he would start sprouting French and quote a French philosopher and say, well, of course, you, you remember what, what Whitman said about that. And of course, I had no idea what Whitman said, but, you know, like the, the little kid that's being read to a bedtime story by the amazing uncle that's come to visit, I just hung on every word. But at the same time, felt very comfortable in his presence. He wasn't, uh, he never spoke down to you or anything. He wasn't pedantic about his knowledge. He wasn't, um, he wasn't a shelf with his knowledge. He, he just loved uh, talking literary theory. He rarely spoke about his work. He would always end a conversation with, well, yes, we'll, 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 we must go to Belgium next summer and do this. Or, yes, we, we should embark on this uh, project and, and you should do this and you should do that. Did you and Marta never talk about ghosts or spirituality? We did. Um, we were down at a literary festival in Coffs Harbour and it was like a lifetime ago and we uh, finished for the day and he said, look, have you got a spare hour? I want to take you to a, a place. And he, he took me to a headland called uh, Crowdy Head, which is uh, just south of Coffs Harbour. 
and um, we sat in the headland. It was probably seven, seven o'clock. The, the night was coming in quite quickly, and he wanted to know what I what I sensed there as a, as a First Nations person, and we did. We had a long conversation in the dark, looking out at sea, about the way uh, First Nations groups used specific landmarks in areas to to acknowledge the the passing of people and the circuit of seasons and the midden grounds and uh, and burial areas he seemed very interested in knowing if i'd uh, sense anything there on the spot and of course just hanging out with him i just wanted to hear what he had to say the natural and spiritual environment exists in in most of his work. What do your Munanjali and Beri Gubba ancestors have to say on the subject of death? Ah, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Well, it, it exists all around us. Um, my, my elders brought me up to, to understand that we exist in a triumvirate of the the past, the, the present and the future. But, yeah, death is an everyday part of life. So is, uh, so is birth. We're ephemeral beings ourselves. I feel like that really came out in Old Ghost Dogs, actually, because you're talking about the past, the present and the future self all in one. Do you often feel like you're carrying around different versions of yourself? Oh, yeah, all the time. All the time. And I'm, I'm not friends with a lot of those versions. Not at all. Thoughts spoken out loud, breath impelled below in the tidal estuary, in the river, in crevice and crevasse, both in delight and light, by love and longing. Desire's invisible fibre, incomprehensible longing, searching for words, words turning out later to be the simplest thoughts. There on the table, a bunch of yellow and gold bottle brushes leaning away from each other akimbo in a grey Japanese vase, yet so connected in curve, wedge, spray, arching, spinning, in the suddenly dipping time-fold. There, as you look, time's felt as real and physical, overwhelming at the point it disappears, turning as it does into one of the many times fused in the regard of things, not unlike the point of breakthrough in the struggle to be loved and to love, in which completeness and transparency, lucid, woven strands, blend and flow in words and acts. That's the late Martin Harrison reading his poem, Thoughts Spoken Out Loud. And I'm speaking to Queensland poet Sam Wagon Watson about his poems written for Martin. Was Martin looking at ideas of mortality much in his work? Writers will always have that relationship or, or, or want to engage with, with matters of life and death. I'm sure Martin was, was conscious of it. His love was the landscape, and the Australian landscape is such... It is fragile, it's ephemeral. And I'm sure the mortality of the organic environment was... Uh, it, it's in his work. It, it was on his mind when, when he was writing. 
sadly, we, we lost Martin back in September. Uh, I was still sort of coming to terms with that. I felt there was a, a lot of things unfinished, that uh, opportunities that we hadn't been able to undertake together. Because he was so engage, engaging as a, as a mentor, I do have his voice in my head quite a lot. White flowers. The air, the wind, the outside and outsize of what's possible and imaginable, clear and clean endeavor into the atmosphere of light on dark and glittering spaces, where crimson rosellas swerve sideways into cascades of downhanging white flowers. They land whistling in that snowy down, that galactic spray of weeping branches, now revealing themselves in an entirety of whitenesses for a few days in a suddenness which takes my breath away because the enormity of the thousands of pale yellow-hearted four-petaled flowerlets is an act of exposure on so huge a scale. And to what? The wind, the next moon, the rain-streaked winter light, the sun, and because the suddenness is what suddenly and surreptitiously strikes you, invisible, unthought awareness, as the same naked revealedness of your lover beneath you, beside you, or above you, caught there where humanness itself is flowering light, ecstatic with joy in the act of love. Did you have his voice in your head in this instance when you were actually writing poems about Martin himself? Totally. It was a hindrance, actually, because his poetry is complex but very natural, free-flowing. <laughs> I screwed up a, a lot of paper um, trying to, to put down something that I felt I could present to him that he would be happy with. And then, of course, coming to the deadline, I just had to sort of drop all of that, write something in the hope that uh, people who, who knew Martin or people who may hear this and um, feel the urge to pick up his work. Maybe, hopefully, they'll, they'll be attracted to, to look at uh, his, the volumes of his poetry and, uh, and see for themselves what a, a gifted wordsmith he was. And what do you think he would have said about the poems? He probably would have said something like, well, you know what Flaubert would have said about this, don't you? And no, of course, I, I have no idea. He... he, <laughs> he <laughs> was just this naturally wonderful uh, philosopher and thinker. Wiped for Martin Harrison. A quote from Apollinaire. I sing the joy of wandering and the pleasure of the wandering death. I replay your voice with every word I borrow from the dictionary again and again as it hits a page embedded. And as the words get harder, your voice gets weaker in memory, and I fear if I keep writing, well, you know what will happen. Visions of the road become overexposed in my mind, journeys we took, words you shared with me that I tried to pass to others in kind. Acoustic resonance in our textual scapes, lyrical tracks, and precious liner notes that I hold close from being consciously wiped.
Wild Bees is Martin's, that one collection of Martin's poetry that, um, that is my favourite. It uh, just has so many facets of, of him and his the, the mechanics of his writing. Apollinaire was one of his uh, favourite poets. Finding this Apollinaire quote, the the joy of wondering and the pleasure of the wondering death, I'm, I'm still not totally convinced that, that Martin's gone, I think, in my conscience. The fact that we had taken some road trips together and uh, look, he was an, a bit of a natural wanderer. He was born in England, moved to New Zealand and then ended up in Sydney. As a poet, he didn't fall into the cliche of the, the sort of the Kerouac traveller. There was just something in that Apollinaire quote that attracted me to, to, to add it to, to the writing, hoping that uh, it's, it's a quote that would be something that, that Martin would have, have enjoyed. I had to go off the literary circuit for a good solid year. I had two brain hemorrhages and I had to, to learn to talk again. I had to learn to walk again. Um, I still suffer partial paralysis, but um, never once did I stop and think, oh, geez, you were close to death, buddy. I mean, the doctors told me that. My, my family told me that. I just thought, oh, well, it's time to take a break and um, I'll take up some writing when I, when I get back on track. It's not something I dwell on, let's just say that. I went through my Nick Cave, my Tom Waits phase, now I'm, I'm buying a lot of cookbooks. <laughs> I'm, I'm buying a lot of things that celebrate life more than things that, that muse death. Having a four-year-old and having a 19-year-old that's in a, his own heavy metal band, I'm really enjoying life. I'm really enjoying writing poetry. Working with, with young people especially is a great joy, and especially when you can, you can tell that they were born to... To tell a story I'll write. Death's kind of the last thing on my mind. Next time on Rhyming the Dead, we head to the United States to glean some wisdom from two legendary African-American poets now past, Maya Angelou and Tupac Shakur. Bringing us their new works inspired by these greats of politics and pop culture will be Sudanese-born spoken word poet Abe Nook and Indigenous radio broadcaster Celestine Rowe. The music in this episode was produced by Marianne Lucataris, Edwin Montgomery and Mary Webb. Archival audio of Jennifer Rankin was provided by the National Library of Australia. You can find other episodes, extended interviews with all 10 poets and transcripts on our website, redroomcompany.org. Thanks for being with me. I'm Maisie Cohen, and this is Rhyming the Dead. <laughs>